Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN, and this morning it is all about cats, and I can't wait. We'll be talking to an old friend of mine, Gwen Cooper. Her latest book is You Are Possum, 75 Reasons Why Your Cats Love You. (laughs) Not 76, not 74, but 75 Reasons Why Your Cats Love You. Also, uh, veterinary behaviors, Dr. Meg Heron will be here to offer advice because, you see, no one has a cat. You probably have, I think the average is 2.3 cats. So odds are you might have, if you have a cat, you probably have two cats or three cats, maybe even more than that. And Dr. Heron will talk about how to add a cat into your home. It is my honor and will be your pleasure to hear one of the experts on the planet in pain management for our pets, president-elect of the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management, even who knew there was such a thing anyway. Uh, But it's important, board-certified anesthesiologist, adjunct professor at Washington State University College of Veterinary Medicine, and I could go on and on. Dr. Tamara Grubb is, if you're at a veterinary conference, she's there, likely. You've presented all over the world. You are world-renowned, and I bet you're more excited now than ever before. We'll talk in a few minutes about what we're going to be able to do for cats who have pain. You're not old enough to remember, Dr. Grubb. I'm not either. But I've talked to veterinarians who have said, I remember veterinarians of a certain age who say, I remember when I was taught in school that pets don't even feel pain So we don't have to treat pain. I'm sure you've heard the same. Absolutely, and what a travesty. But in defense of those veterinarians, we didn't know. know. Hey, and by the way, your audience may not know, you just won a big media award at this convention. So congratulations. Very cool. Thank you. The pain, the problem is our pets, our patients hide pain, and it's a very strong instinct because back when there were dinosaurs in the world and that was, they were all predators, they would eat all the little pets, all the little animals that have now become our pets. So if they were the weakest link, they were sick, they were in pain, they weren't fast enough to get away from the dinosaur, and so now they still hide pain from us and that will never go away. It's a survival mechanism, but because they hide hide pain. We thought they didn't feel pain. And now we've learned they have the same pain pathway that a human has. They exactly, have to feel Exactly pain. the same. It's exactly the same. So scientifically, of course, they feel pain. We just have to find ways to see what they're communicating to us. And it's even worse in a way because it's like a young child that can't explain what's going on. Also, if your pet's in pain, then you feel very badly as the pet parent, they pick up on your emotions and don't understand why you're upset, which actually can make them upset too. Absolutely. That can just add to the the fear, the anxiety, the stress that they feel from yeah. the pain. And then you're right, animals are really good at reading our emotions. We're not so good at reading theirs. Not true. And then we end up with a, a cat hiding under the bed. We don't know why. We don't even notice for a couple of days that maybe he's not interacting with the family, you know, and it's probably pain. And then you're right, exacerbated by, by the, the emotion. The, the, what we feel bad and they feel bad. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, what is the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management or Pain? Yeah, pain. I got that right. You I think. got that right. Yeah. Thank you for asking. It is an equivalent to one of the big pain groups in human medicine. So just who has a mission. We both have the mission to educate people about pain. So in human medicine to educate, obviously, us on our own pain. And then the Veterinary Academy of Pain Management to educate owners and veterinarians and researchers and vet students, anybody that is involved with animals. So it's really just to get us all together to see that animals do feel pain and to start to make plans. How do we recognize that pain? How do we educate pet owners like we're getting to talk to today on what that pain looks like and then developing treatments for for pain? So just really, it's kind of a one health mission, really, since there Mm -hmm. are pain groups in human medicine and then the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management as well, all one health. So in cats in particular, even veterinary professionals have thought for a long time, okay, there was the point where they felt, yes, as we talked about, they, they don't feel pain. But even at that point where they understood the pain existed, not to the, yes, it's dogs that have arthritis, it's people, but not cats, they're small. That can't happen. There have been a number of studies. One of my favorites, and I'm sure you know more about this than I do, is a study that looked at, the intent was to look at gastrointestinal illness in cats. And they radiographed or x-rayed all these cats to look at something else. But what they turned out to find also is that I believe it was 100%, 100% if I'm not mistaken, of all of these cats that they looked at and they were all of a certain age actually were suffering some form of significant arthritis. Absolutely. And it wasn't quite 100, over 90% okay, though okay. in these senior cats. So it was a huge You know number. the study I'm referring to. Yeah, okay. and, and who would know? And you're right, they are so sedentary. They don't move around. We often don't see them moving. We just see them sleeping. If they do move, it might be at night. They don't walk across the floor like dogs do. They jump. They'd rather be up on something. And so we have to recognize that it's a different change that we would see, an inability to jump instead of an inability to walk. And unfortunately, also, many owners don't know the signs of pain that we just described, mobility and behavior changes. And so if we ask a, a cat owner, do you think your cat's in pain? The answer is often, well, he's not crying. Well, if you were so painful that you sat around crying all the time, I mean, that would just be n- not livable. No. So it's it, not that big of a cha- but change, but there are behavior changes. And that's that, too demonstrative for a cat to do anyway. You're so cat, right. Yeah, cats wouldn't do that. No. So, All right, so you have a cat that is, uh, say, sleeping more. It's a 12-year-old cat. Cat sleep. How can you tell? Or, or you, you have a cat that's sleeping and is sleeping vertically and not curled up? That's pretty subtle. Who would even think about it? You have a cat that you look at the face of the cat and the whiskers are pulled back and the ears are more down and the eyes are kind of scrunched. You just think the cat's sleeping. You don't look at those kind of details. Everything I think I described are signs of pain in cats. Absolutely. And I'm with you. Who would know? Yeah. And yet you you described a cat in pain to a T. Now, it, it could be other things of as course. well. But it's often health conditions that make them do that. They need to see a veterinarian. So even if it's not pain, but yeah, you described it to a T. And I wish we could see the pet owners out there. I would love to say, raise your hand if you knew that were th- those were signs of pain. And few would. 
But that's what we're here for. Thank yes. you for having me. That's what we're here for is to educate pet owners on these subtle signs of pain in cats. And, you know, you, you've had a good tip in the past about videoing your cats. So if you think something is abnormal, wait till they wake up. Don't ever wake a sleeping cat. That's just rude. <laughs> but wait till they wake up and then take your phone out and take 10 or 15 seconds of video of your cat moving. Mm-hmm. Not just sitting in a cube. A cute place in your house, no costumes, just moving. And especially up and down stairs or jumping, as we've said. And then take that video to your veterinarian. And especially if you have a senior cat, like you said, a really high percentage in senior cats. Take that video to your veterinarian and and have them assess it. And that's really one of the best ways to know if a cat is in pain because we can't get those videos in our vet clinic. A cat will not jump. It will not go up and down stairs. Right. So we need need the owners to help us. I I think, you know, we do blood work all the time, or at least we should be, uh, for sake of comparison. Come to think of it, I think we could do video of cats doing, this is an idea for a pharma company like Zoetis, whatever company it is, to fill in the blank. The cat is moving up and down stairs. The cat is jumping onto a piece of furniture, Uh, maybe a third one too, and just do that every year from the time the cat is, let's say, four years old. And I bet there would be changes that now pet parents and, more importantly, in a sense, veterinarians would be able to see. Oh, absolutely. If we could compare those year to year. And one of the, another great thing about that is we, should, we could catch the pain earlier. You know, we're catching it in these really senior cats, but we know that they had pain before that. So if we had a video every year, we could see it earlier. We could see these mobility changes. And seriously, folks that own cats, who doesn't want a video of your cat every year? <laughs> I do. But Create please no yeah. TikTok page there or something. Go, but yeah. no costumes. Cats don't like costumes. <laughs> and I don't think you like them on cats from what I'm getting. <laughs> and that's okay. I, I want to to talk about the fact that in America, 60% of our cats are overweight or obese. Mm-hmm. How does that tie into what we're talking about? And yes, I kind of buried the lead. We have good news, actually amazing news, having to do with pain in our cats. We will talk about these things when we come back right here on WGN. We're talking to Dr. Tamara Grubb, president-elect of the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management. We're talking about how pain is very often not diagnosed in cats. It's not even thought of necessarily. Veterinarians, first of all, there are a couple of problems. If they, You can't diagnose what you're not seeing. So if the cat's not going into the veterinarian, obviously, there's no way a veterinarian. And that's a problem. Actually, it's a huge problem. We know that we see just a fraction of cats in general, and then it would be an even smaller fraction of cats that are in pain. So we are not helping even a piece of the number of cats that we could help if our pet owners, our cat owners, recognized pain and brought that cat to us for treatment. And visited the veterinarian anyway twice a year. Right, absolutely. Just to come in for a wellness exam, and like you said, more than one time a year, especially as those those cats age, because remember, their lifespan is not the same as ours, and so if we're going every year, um, pets... We're going every year. Animals like our cats should be coming more often because they're, they're aging more quickly. That's absolutely true, and they can't tell us what's bothering them necessarily. And cats, even more than dogs, are very good at masking not only pain but any sort of illness. And uh, for pet parents, because I hear this, I can tell all the time that my dog or cat is okay. Well, 
Can you do blood work in your kitchen? Do you have a stethoscope in your front pocket? I mean, how, you know, no, you really can't do that at home. You can't know that. Uh, it turns out that 60% of our cats are overweight or obese. That has a lot to do with a variety of medical issues for cats. Diabetes is maybe at the top of the list, but I'm thinking pain must be in there as well. Absolutely. Anytime that there's excess weight, the, the most common cause of pain in cats and all mammals is osteoarthritis or arthritis. And with excess weight on those joints, so the heavy cat, that puts more wear and tear on the joints. It makes the pain worse. And it's the vicious cycle. As the pain gets worse, the cat wants to exercise. Well, not the cats ever want to exercise, but the cat walks around less, so it gains more weight. And so it's just that vicious circle. So getting- well, there's also something called the pain cycle. Mm-hmm. So, and this is the other reason, and this ties in perfectly with the product that I'll talk about in a second with you, because if you can get an early diagnosis on this, you don't get as deep into that pain cycle, which we now understand better in humans and dogs. It's not been studied as much in cats, but what one would assume it is very much the same. Explain what I'm talking about. Yeah, and and absolutely, it's the same in cats. Like you said a few minutes ago, though, they are the masters at hiding pain, so people don't see it. Dogs will at least sometimes limp a little bit, so they're really good at hiding pain. And the problem is, untreated pain causes more pain. So when we diagnose pain early, and this is true of all species, we diagnose that pain early. We start the treatment. We decrease the pain pathway or the pain cycle. We decrease that response to the pain. And so we can keep that pain at a lower level for longer if we diagnose it early and start the treatment. If we don't start the treatment, that pain just continues to worsen and worsen and worsen. So the treatment really is key to giving that pet a quality of life and not just right now when we're treating it. But again, this is a long-term effort to control the pain. And we're talking about osteoarthritis, which is chronic as well. So we're also talking about quality of life that can be either improved or not go in the direction that you don't want it to go in in the first place. So right now what's available for dogs, a fair number of options are out there. For humans, same. For cats, not as much. No, not as much. And still the same problem, just people aren't recognizing pain in cats. And so not as much research has been in, been put into it, as you've said, and not as many products, but it's getting better. Exciting stuff coming. So we've heard the term monoclonal antibody before because that's available for humans. Uh, it, it, I guess it was during COVID-19, one of the products is that. Uh, so... If it's good enough for the president of the United States, I guess President Trump had a monoclonal antibody treatment, if I'm recalling correctly. But it turns out it has nothing to do with COVID-19, but there's a product available for cats. Absolutely. Or at least it yeah. will be. Will be available. Will be. And cats rule the world. I mean, cats <laughs> should have been the first to get it before anybody's president ever anywhere yeah, in any true. across the earth and other planets. <laughs> because pets, cats definitely rule. Yes, and the monoclonal antibody platform for drugs, if anybody watches TV or, or listens to radio, every other drug commercial is for a monoclonal antibody. It's a base for the drug. And it's a very safe base. 
place. And so... What does that mean, in, briefly? Yeah, briefly. So antibodies, we have antibodies, right? Antibodies fight disease. And so a monoclonal antibody is just refining what the body already knows what to do with our own antibodies. And it's an actual cultured antibody. And it's monoclonal, meaning that it's from one cell line. And so that's less likely to cause, in fact, almost unlikely to cause any type of allergic response when we inject them into the body. And it's even better than that. We can make those species specific to make them even safer. So the monoclonal antibody that you're talking about is specific for cats. Cats. And it's called Silencia. I think it's a game changer for a whole lot of reasons. One is that there's no pill. Yeah. You don't have to pill a cat or try. Isn't that amazing? So for anybody out there that's ever tried to pill your cat, you know what we're talking about. And it will be a game changer, not only for safety, but also for efficacy. It's very potent. And it's an injection once a month. So your veterinarian does it. You don't have to give your cat a pill. Mm -hmm. It's only once a month. And, you know, a problem with giving cats oral medication is because it's so often unpleasant for both the cat and the owner, it, it impacts what we call the human-animal bond. So all of a sudden, your cat doesn't like you. It's hiding under the bed. And how devastated are you about that? So you stop medicating your cat, understandably so, but now you stopped medicating your cat. Exactly. So yep. it's in pain again. And yep. for the human-animal bond and quality of life for both the cat and the cat caregiver, oh, I can't wait. Yep. And uh, as far as I know, few, if any, side effects. And in addition to that, it's been out in Europe for a while and it seems to be... I've seen some of the videos. It's amazing. It is amazing. And you're right. Our colleagues in Europe and the UK and even Canada have had this drug before we've had it here in the US. So the data is very good. Like you said, very safe and very effective. So I, I can't wait for me and my cats and all my cat patients too. Called Silencia. You'll hear more about that on this program and elsewhere. Dr. Grubb, what an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. An honor to talk to you right back. Thank you. Next week, it is one of my favorite folks, a veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Lisa Radasta, will be here. And she's going to talk about common behavior problems in dogs and cats. I mean, and some of them significant. I mean, one of the big reasons, one of the really big reasons, maybe the biggest, for relinquishing cats is they're thinking outside the litter box. But new research has been done where if, okay, that cat is sadly given up to a shelter, but maybe not so sadly in a way, because the shelter, quote-unquote, fixes the issue, and it never reoccurs. Because in the household, the situation was not appropriate for that cat to succeed. Uh, Another issue, for example, separation anxiety. Boy, that is serious, and that might be now the most common behavior problem in dogs. We'll talk about all of that, how to deal with these issues next week with, she's an expert, veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Lisa Radasta. Gwen Cooper is an old friend, the author of the best-selling book, and if you haven't checked out this book, Homer's Odyssey. It's an amazing book about a cat that uh, had special needs, was visually impaired, and uh, it's, it's a book with a great sense of humor, but it's also very, very touching. But she has a new one out. It's called You Are Possome, 75 Reasons Why Your Cats Love You and Why Loving Them Back Makes You a Better Human. Gwen, welcome to WGN. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Well, uh, so you do have not 72 reasons, not 82 reasons, but 75 reasons uh, and one of those reasons is 
You give your cat adorable nicknames. <laughs> yes. So as I describe it, and, and again, there are 75 reasons why your cats love you. And this is one of the reasons that I've listed. And we have ridiculous nicknames for our cats in our house. But I think that's fairly common. And I think, you know, again, it goes toward the, the sense in which you're, you, the animals who live with you know that they are included family members. And I think the giving of nicknames, even if they don't understand the subtle nuances, they certainly hear the difference in your voice. And they know that you're talking to them and that you're speaking to them affectionately, and so I think it all is is kind of part of the big, the 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 big wrapping up of, of love in in the family with cats. Um, how, how do but you? I do have some very silly nicknames for my cats. Oh yes. well, we need to hear those. So, like my cat Fanny, I call her Miss Fanny Pants or Fandemonium. Um, Clayton is the Clayman or Claymation, or, I mean, sometimes I sing that, that old Batman th- theme song, but I say Clayman instead of Batman, you know, like the na 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 Clayman. <laughs> well, that's anyway. another thing you say in your book, <laughs> the authoritative source on the planet for cats, that you have to <laughs> sing to your cats. And of course, if I did that, our cat would be looking for a new home, but you say that you must do that. Well, again, I want to clarify, so this is not an advice book. I'm not telling people what they have to do. I'm telling them the things they already do that their cats love them for doing. And singing silly love songs is definitely one of those things. Um, I myself love to take Motown songs and swap out a keyword in the title or the refrain for either my cat's name or just the word kitty. Um, and I will not sing here because your your listeners are innocent people who have done <laughs> who do not deserve to suffer. Um, but songs like you know, "Kitty, It's You" or "Be My Little Kitty" or "Too Busy Thinking About My Kitty," you know, just uh, yeah. When when it's just me and the cats in the house, I definitely sing them silly love songs that I would not want anyone else to hear. But but the cats seem to like it. What do you mean by "bring the bird to life"? Oh, so the bird is one of those toys, you know, it's, and, and very simple for those who are not familiar with it. It's basically a stick um, with a string at the end of it and then a clump of feathers tied to the end of the string. And it, it's, you know, so like a, stri- a stick with a string and a bunch of feathers sounds about as simple as, as a, an entertainment device can get. Um, but cats find it wildly entertaining. And your cats will love you for bringing it into their lives. I am not affiliated with DeBird or the DeBird Corporation. I, I don't get any sort of, um, you know, remuneration. I'm not a spokesperson or any or you know, anything like that. Well, you um, will and there you, are you, other you, brands to you, try out, but yeah. it's, a, it's a great toy for cats. Well, you will be now a spokesperson after that. How, <laughs> however, what, what you can do is take, you know, the string on a robe or whatever that is called, the tie. You know, where yes. you pull the robe together, go like that. You could take that and use that as a toy. I mean, there's so many things around the house that we can use as a moving cat toy. And other things like, uh, I, I know you must do this because this is the only reason to buy wine. It's not for the wine you drink, but the cork, <laughs> which can become a cat toy. Ideas like that. Yeah, you know, so it's funny. Actually, there, there was a book before this book called, um, and it was just called Possum, Headbonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. And one of the reasons why cats make us happy is because cats are so easily entertained. And as I say in the book, you can literally find a stick in your backyard and, like, staple a string to it and staple just something fluttery exactly. to the end of that string. And your cat would be like, oh, my God, you're a genius, you know. <laughs> 
how important is it to encourage cats to hunt indoors? So I know you uh, live in uh, New York, and yes. it would be dangerous to let your cat outside in New York City. Uh, but I'm a proponent, as I believe you are anyway, of cats being indoors. But how important is it to enrich the environment, including activating that prey drive? Oh, I think it's really important. Um, and, and I say, you know, and I think the thinking has changed. I don't think people thought too much about this once upon a time. But I know in the last few years, uh, the, the, the knowledge that's out there, I think, has really come a long way. I mean, the studies that, that show how we can make cats happier and better adjusted living within our homes. And definitely engaging that prey drive is, is one of those ways. I actually was speaking with someone recently um, who is an expert in, in cat behavior who said that even if you live someplace cold, it's, you should open the windows every day for 30 minutes to an hour in your house, even if you have air conditioning, just so your cat can get outside smells, which are going to be very interesting um, for your cat and, and something to engage him. Um, you know, cats do get bored very easily, and we joke about how much time they spend sleeping, which is all well and good, but when they're awake, I think it's really important to engage, not even just for their happiness, but also to offset any potential bad or disruptive behaviors or things that result from anxiety or not being sufficiently occupied. Well, I I agree with everything you just said. And, you know, perhaps in some cases anyway, individual cats wouldn't be sleeping as much if they had something to do. I mean, think about it. I mean, sometimes we're guilty of sleeping in if we have nothing better to do. But if you have an 8 o'clock appointment, you're up at 7 o'clock to get to that 8 o'clock appointment. Now, that's, you know, I was just thinking, so I recently started feeding two squirrels in my backyard who now spend their, their whole day on the deck, either eating the food I've given them or, or trying to bully me into giving them more food by looking very sad and cute outside my window while I work. Um, but Clayton, my cat, now, I don't think he has slept a wink in the last week since I started feeding these squirrels because all he does is glue himself to the window to watch the squirrels. But all kidding aside, it is certainly a better use of his time than, than nothing, you know, than, than having nothing to interest or occupy him. So these are other things. There are also ways that you can enrich a cat's outdoor environment, even if they're an indoor cat, and create a sort of cat television that they can watch through the windows. Oh, what, like you, what you describe is better than Oprah if you happen to be a cat. <laughs> so one, I'll take one more of these 75 here. Uh, let's say your Aunt Bertha, uh-oh, she comes over, she sits down on the sofa, and then gets up and says, I'm wearing black and there's white cat hair all over me. You say, throw Aunt Bertha out of your house. Well, again, it is not a book of advice. I'm not advising anyone to start a family feud. But I do know <laughs> that one of the reasons why your cats love you is because you defend them against visitors who complain about cat hair. Although I honestly don't know why somebody would come to your house, your house with cats in it, and then complain about cat fur. And, you know, I, I do not go to Italian restaurants and then complain that there are so many dishes with red sauce. There, there are just certain things that should be accepted as inevitabilities, and um, you and your cats should not have to tolerate them. So Gwen Cooper is saying, if you have an Aunt Bertha, get rid of her. So you <laughs> you are possum. Gwen Cooper is not saying that. <laughs> oh, I misunderstood. You are possum. 75 reasons why your cats love you and why loving them back makes you a better human. Clearly one of the better humans on the planet, Gwen Cooper. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Steve. So wouldn't you know it, In the show that I'm doing all about cats, your timing, friends, is perfect. Because several of you have emailed me and said, 
something like my cat is urinating outside the litter box. What do I do? Uh, and that is actually the most common behavior problem for dogs or cats is cats thinking outside the litter box. So I've got much more, much more information on my website, and that's stevedale.tv. And we'll talk with Dr. Meg Heron in a moment, veterinary behaviorist, about introducing a new cat into a home and the book that, in fact, she co-edited called Decoding Your Cat that I was honored to write the introduction to. That has more information in it, too. But let me give you some basics here. Number one, and this is in no particular order, keep the box clean. Cleanliness is everything. Cats are like Felix Unger. Sad part is, some of you may not even know that reference. But Felix Unger was really clean, crazy clean. And cats are like that, too. And if you think that scooping once a day is enough, well, if your cat is having an issue, it might not be enough. How many boxes do you need? Well, let's say you have three cats. How many boxes do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Four boxes. If you have two cats, three boxes. It's always one more box than the number of cats you have in the home. However, please do not do this. Don't keep the boxes all in one room because that's, well, like one giant box. Now, sometimes... This is the confusing thing. Cats can be confusing. So sometimes a cat will do number one inside the box and number two right outside the box. So that cat is telling you, I want a box next to that litter box, which flies in the face of what I just said. That's the thing. Cats can be like that. We want to minimize anxiety. So if you know there's some anxiety going on, for example, you've introduced a new cat into the home, we want to do everything we can to minimize that. And when there is anxiety, provide as many litter boxes in as many places. Clean as often. Now, is it a covered box or is it an uncovered box? That is the question. Well, according to surveys, most cats prefer uncovered boxes. But actually, there are plenty of cats who say, I no, I want privacy. I want a covered box. We found personally, I don't know the name of the brand, and there are probably several boxes out there like this, a box with such a wide opening, it is kind of a hybrid between a covered box and an uncovered box. That way I figure, okay, you can't lose. What if you have a geriatric cat? Those cats, as we just heard, we just heard are more likely to be painful than we ever thought. So make sure the opening is wide and the cat doesn't have to jump into the box or jump on top of a washing machine or something to get to the box. Make that box easy to get to. Cats prefer unscented litter all the time. Forget about the scents that you might like. It's all about the cat. Dr. Megan Heron is the Senior Director of Behavioral Medicine at Gigi Shelter for Dogs, as well as a veterinary behaviorist, as well as a contributing editor of Decoding your cat. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, cat. I mean, this book is amazing, first of all. So I'm glad you did the woo <laughs> ever so softly because I want to talk about that because this book is put together by the ultimate experts in animal behavior, veterinary behaviorists, and it's all about understanding cats maybe a little better than we do. Yeah, that's right. And it really tries to put it in as simple terms as possible. So even the beginner cat lover um, can can read it and get a great understanding, but it also goes into great depth into veterinary medicine and how medical problems may be the reasons for some of these behavioral changes, and really it's the key to helping your cat live a happy and healthy life. Everything from kittens to very much older cats and all different topics, including this one. 
adding a cat into the household. And most people with a cat don't have a cat. Uh, I think the average is, what, 2.3? 2.3, yeah, yes. I believe so. So what we're doing. What, which part is the third of a cat? I, I don't I want to know that. You're the expert. So you add a cat to the household. Yeah. I think most people increasingly understand you just don't bring home the cat and put the cat in the middle mm-hmm. of the living room and let everyone deal with it. But what do you do? Well, I think it's common. People fall in love with a cat, and those of us who maybe work out of the home feel bad for our kitties and think they need a friend, and so we want to add cats, or some of us just love to have multiple cats. Um, and the, the first thing I want to say is that not every cat wants a friend. There are some cats that are quite content to live among human companions and no other animals, and that is A-OK. Um, and so don't ever try to get a cat to help one cat you think is lonely, because it may not work. They may just want people and really not be interested in having another mm-hmm. cat. That said, there are some cats, particularly young cats, kittens, who are extremely playful and are maybe tormenting either people or dogs in the household with their incessant play. Those cats actually do benefit greatly from another young, playful kitten. So it really is based on the individual, how well a cat's going to receive it. But the key is, anytime we add a cat, is that we really need to go slowly because we are changing everything for them. You know, it's like when... You know, and, the, and clearly, the younger they are, the easier it is. Just like us in college, mm-hmm. hey, you threw us in with a random roommate <laughs> freshman year. <laughs> eh, we mostly got along. But, you know, I'm 45, if I want to admit that. I don't know that you could just throw me in with some random human and expect me to get along. I'm a little more set in my ways now. Mm-hmm. And I think our older kitties can kind of be that way, too. And so forcing them to share space, attention, food, and other important resources can be hard for them. So really, going slower than you think is necessary is usually the key to success. So the new cat comes into the house. When you go slow, you go slow at what? I think what you're saying is you put that cat in a solitary room, but it's not meant to be solitary confinement. I mean, we're not punishing this cat Correct. you're adding. Right. And I like to refer to it as a safe haven. And I usually like to keep the newcomer's world small first because they don't know what they're missing. However, your resident cat is sure going to notice what they're missing if you try to lock them up. And so creating a safe haven, and by that we mean it's a haven where all resources are met, food, Water, scratching, perching, entertainment, time with people, litter boxes that are cleaned regularly um, so that this cat really has a great enriched environment, doesn't know what it's missing in the rest of the home. And then we want to gradually introduce them to the concept of this other cat. And we usually think about something like a scent exchange first. So before they even see, put eyes, ideally I don't like them to see each other until we've introduced the scent first. Number of ways we can do that. Well, they kind of see each other just by scent because that's scent a good, is that's so That's a very important. good point, Steve, yeah. because they take in so much information, not just from scents and odors, but from pheromones that communicate mm-hmm. so much about how that other cat is feeling, as well as their body type, whether they're a male or female. So they gain such a good visual picture. You're right, even just from those scents and pheromones. And so whether that's a, a towel placed on the areas where the two cats each like to rest, and then we, we swap them so that they can investigate on their own. Other times, if they're amenable to it, we can put cotton gloves on and we can pet, particularly over the cheeks, the ears, the head where the cat's comfortable, clearly. Um, And then we might allow the other cat to investigate and smell those gloves. Um, I'm not a big advocate for rubbing the other cat with that scent until they're quite ready, because that can be very offensive. Can you imagine someone rubbing you with some other human scent? (laughs) That doesn't sound right. So give them the choice to investigate. And then when you, at the end, because we're just Mm -hmm. short on time here, so when they do come together, make it as happy as can 
can yeah. be possible. So if scent's going well, nobody's hissing at the smell of the other cat, they're interested, maybe you've been associating that with little treats, then we allow them to see each other just a sneak peek, whether that's a crack in a door or several baby gates that are covered up with paper and you start to peel away pieces so they can see each other. Eventually they can have full visual access to each other and we usually want to make it something fun something fun is going to happen every time i see you is what some of the experts miss i think and some of the books miss but decoding your cat doesn't dr heron thank you so much oh pleasure as always thank you so while we're talking cats and that's what this show is all about i do want to talk about and i've talked about this before but i want to do it again and i will the every cat health foundation And the difference that this organization makes for cats every day, every cat, every day. And here's what I'm talking about. This organization, like no other on the entire planet, as far as we know, funds studies for cat health or behavior. So here's what happens. Researchers, uh, generally from universities, but not always, uh, even from shelters, will, will knock on our door because I'm on their board, and say, I want to do this study because I want to learn about such and such. And we say, often we never have enough money for everything, and we don't, and that's what I'm talking to you about, because if you love cats, here's an opportunity to help all cats. So if you're thinking, well, what has this organization does? What do they do? I can give you so many examples. One example uh, is blood pressure in cats. It was never thought to be important. And then studies that this organization funded demonstrated, aha, it is important to measure blood pressure in cats. Oh, how do you do that? Well, it was very, very difficult to do. And now it's a bit easier to do, all with research funded by this organization. Uh, The classic example in recent years is feline infectious peritonitis, or FIP. Always thought to be fatal. In fact, it always has been fatal. But not any longer. Uh, The books are changing it, the textbooks, from fatal to treatable. And it's all by research that has been funded uh, to Dr. Niels Peterson and others by this one organization. And out of that research has come a drug which has helped people, people with COVID-19 called remdesivir. Because it's a drug just like that that actually cures Cats with FIP. More at everycat.org, everycat.org. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.